You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with the blowback from BC's recently unveiled housing plan, Homes for Everyone, clearly isn't pleasing everyone. The plan is to boost density in neighborhoods dominated by single family homes. But as Imadagahi shows us, local leaders are concerned there might be impacts the province hasn't planned for. A day after the province announced it is ready to potentially use a heavy hand on municipal zoning to jumpstart the housing supply, it says, is badly needed to make homes more affordable. It's a, it's a unique program. Metro Vancouver mayors are starting to ask questions. We're going to have cars. Where are they going to park? As part of its housing plan, the NDP is promising legislation allowing up to four units to be built on what is now zoned for single-family homes, a plan that would overhaul zoning responsibilities currently held by municipal governments. We're providing options. We're not saying the single-family home is dead. Uh, that will be up to the market. We want to make sure that young families can continue to stay in British Columbia and raise their kids here. Some Metro Vancouver mayors worry their infrastructure currently won't keep up with a boom in density. How do we get to respond and how do we make it so that our sewage systems are actually big enough to accommodate the density that the province is putting in uh, without approvals? What about the other services that are involved? Police, fires, schools, the hospitals. In February, the province did announce a billion dollars in grants for municipalities to shore up their infrastructure, but critics don't believe that will be enough. What may work in one location it may well not work in another location. I don't think this plan has been given more than five minutes thought by anybody that actually comes from the housing sector, and that's the problem. What I would do is establish targets with the municipalities and give them the flexibility to put that density where it makes the most sense, typically along transit corridors. What's also being criticized, the plan won't be introduced until the fall at the earliest. Emadagahi, Global News. Well, after years of intense demand and low vacancy, there's now a surplus of office space in Vancouver. For the first time in more than two decades, the office vacancy rate has topped 10%. As Travis Prasad reports, post-pandemic changes in work patterns are driving much of the change. This is a sure sign of a shift in business. If you go back 20 years, um, that's the last time we've seen it sort of trend over 10%. Office vacancy in the downtown core now sits at 10.8%, rising by more than 1% since last year. Glenn Gardner with commercial real estate company Avis & Young says the growing number of empty offices is largely due to tech companies cutting costs and subleasing their spaces. In addition to that, a lot of the technology sector employees uh, have chosen or would want to continue to work from home or work more remotely. Another factor is growing supply. Several newly built office towers are not yet fully leased, including the Stack, a distinctive high-rise with over half a million square feet of office space. It's obviously a cause for concern, but we have to put it in a longer-term context. So we've had the lowest office vacancy rate for a long time. Despite the climbing rate, downtown Vancouver is in better shape than other cities. Ottawa and Montreal are at all-time highs. Toronto is at 15.3% and downtown Calgary is seeing 32% vacancy, well above the national average. We're still seeing a lot of interest. Uh, companies around the world who are reaching out to us and they want 
wants to set up here in Vancouver. Something that might not have been possible a few years ago when vacancy was just 2.5%. It's a different market than it was in 2020. There is more choice, there's more options, and there's room uh, for companies that at one point couldn't come to Vancouver to come to Vancouver. Gardner expects the downtown core to stray even further from what's considered a healthy vacancy rate of 6 to 8%, but only for this year. When I look out to 24, 25 and 26, with the lack of new inventory coming online, I think we're going to see vacancy rates creep down again. Travis Prasad, Global News. And according to a recent Ipsos poll done for Global News, 36% of those who've been working from home expect to return to the office on a regular basis. The catch is 70% of that group say they don't want to. The survey of more than 1,000 people found 65% of working Canadians say since the pandemic began, they have been able to achieve a better work-life balance. A Canadian expert on terrorism is weighing in today on the charges laid against the man arrested in a frightening bus attack in Surrey over the weekend. As Romina Dea reports, the former CSIS analyst says the terrorist group ISIS is still a threat. Abdul Aziz Kawam is facing four terrorism charges, including attempted murder for allegedly slashing the throat of an innocent man on a Surrey bus. The charges allege Saturday's attacks were carried out for the terrorist group, the so-called Islamic State. So under the criminal code, an act of terrorism has to be carried out for ideological, political or religious reasons. That's often very, very difficult to prove to beyond a reasonable doubt. Phil Gursky is a retired strategic analyst with CSIS, Canada's intelligence agency. His expertise terrorism. While we don't know the facts in the bus incident, in general, Gursky says ISIS is still a threat. And I would argue they are still the most lethal terrorist group on the globe today when it comes to terrorism. ISIS has tens of thousands of followers around the world, Gursky estimates. The terrorist group's strength, not the same as 2014, but don't be fooled. We've been led to believe that ISIS is dead. Uh, former President Trump declared they've been defeated, totally defeated, he said, back in 2019. But ISIS has spawned at least 20 or so affiliates, provinces they call them, around the world. Canada on the radar. Two terrorism-related arrests in less than two weeks. Kawam in BC and another man in Quebec. Acting on a tip from the FBI, the RCMP arrested an 18-year-old in Montreal. I'm not going to try to overblow this. That is the trend of something bigger happening. But I do find it very interesting that this has happened in, in, you know, in the course of a week and a half. In the recent bus slashing case in Surrey, transit police will only say concerning comments were made. We don't know if there's any evidence Kawam is linked to ISIS in Canada or overseas. BCRCMP headquarters not commenting on camera. Over the weekend, police said the attack was random and investigators are looking at whether mental health issues played a role. There is a publication ban in effect, so we can't tell you what happened in court Monday. Kawam remains in custody. His next court appearance is Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News.
And Abbotsford High School was placed under lockdown for several hours today for what now appears to have been a false alarm. Just after the noon hour, someone reported spotting someone with a gun at or near the school. Dozens of police officers and other first responders rushed to the area. A room-by-room -room search of the school was done. Nothing suspicious or unusual was found. The lockdown was lifted and school was dismissed for the day at the usual time. When those calls go out on the police radio, um, it gets everyone's heart rate up. It, it's what we train for. And we train for this reason. In this case, we don't have a, a negative or horrible result from it. But we have our sons and daughters at local schools. We're all part of this community. And hearing that call is we will stop what we're doing. And everyone from within Abbotsford and beyond, uh, we have officers arriving from Surrey and all sorts of different uh, detachments in the Lower Mainland are supporting us uh, on calls like this. Another terrifying ordeal to tell you about, an Abbotsford woman who told police she was robbed outside her home by five men wearing masks. Global's Janet Brown has the details. Along this stretch of Ross Road in Abbotsford on Saturday night just after 8 p.m., a 62-year-old woman was outside in her yard when out of nowhere five masked men came along demanding money of her with a firearm. They ended up fleeing in her vehicle, which was found a short time later by Abbotsford police, along with the suspect's vehicle. While she was shaken up, obviously, there were no serious injuries, along with several occupants who were residing on the property. Now, Abbotsford police are saying they don't yet have a motive for this, and they also don't yet know if this was random or targeted. We understand that that you know brings up the anxiety level in the community, especially in that area. Um, but we felt it important to notify the community and the public uh, that this incident happened. Uh, we will update them as it transpired. Now Abbotsford police are asking anybody who was in this area on Saturday night, either before or after the incident took place, and if they have any dash cam footage or any other video, to please give the Abbotsford police a call. Janet Brown, Global News. West Shore RCMP are asking for the public's help after the theft of nearly $7,000 worth of diesel. A full 3,500-liter fuel tank was stolen overnight on February 11th from a construction site on Bear Mountain Parkway in Langford. Police say the site was broken into and a forklift from a neighboring property was used to move the tank. If you've seen it or know who's responsible for the theft, you are asked to contact West Shore RCMP. We're getting some new details about the province's plan to greatly improve working conditions for B.C. nurses. A key component would make B.C. the first province in Canada to establish low nurse-to-patient ratios in hospitals and other health care facilities. B.C.'s planning to spend big bucks to make it happen, but as Richard Zussman reports, it all hinges on ratifying a new labour agreement. Nursing B.C.'s health care system back to health. We are hoping that uh, there will be uh, better outcomes for our patients. All contingent on a new deal with the nurses. On Tuesday, the province unveiling details, including a promise to become Canada's first jurisdiction with minimum staffing ratios. In critical care cases, there will be one nurse for every patient. For mental health cases, one nurse for every two patients. In specialized care, it will be one to three. And in general and palliative cases, it will be one nurse to four patients. Right now, because of the shortages, uh, they are seeing 
increased numbers of patients, so you could have one nurse to eight patients. We are aligned in working together to improve the public health care system. The model is designed to replicate what is currently being done in Australia and California. The first step will be to fill 7,000 openings in the system, the province putting in more than $750 million over three years to help, but there's still this big question. When you look at ratios, we have to understand how many nurses that will require and where we're actually going to get them from. In order to fill up the jobs in here, the province will be launching a massive recruitment drive. The challenge is BC is not alone in its search for nurses, but Health Minister Adrian Dix is insistent the province has a track record in hiring people here. Last year we saw an increase of 6.7% in the number of registered nurses in BC. In Alberta it was 0.7% minus. In Ontario it was 1%. Another significant challenge is staffing all parts of the province, especially considering more rural and remote areas have historically had even greater challenges. We need to better understand what does it look like across the province, how does it help those smaller communities, and you know, nurses in those communities are, are completely overworked, they are burnt out. The next step? Ratifying the deal, with more than 51,000 nurses eligible to start voting by the end of April. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. Yeah, and Keith Bobbery joins us now with a closer look at some of the numbers. And Keith, the number of nurses that BC has actually been able to hire in recent years, uh, where do we stand? Yeah, we still have a nursing, nursing shortage, make uh, very clear about that and the challenges to uh, fill that shortage. But we have been hiring nurses at a regular rate. Here's how they break down by uh, position over the last four years. So you see the numbers here, licensed practical, practical nurses, a 17% increase in that time frame. Registered nurses, more than 4,000 hired, an increase of 11%. Care aides and community health, more than 2,800 people hired there. And relatively new position, nurse practitioners, 166, it's an increase of more than four. 40%. So 8,600 8, people hired here over that time frame. Sounds good. Health Minister Adrian Dix today, though, says that's not enough. More work needs to be done on that front. What the, the statistics show is the significant increase in nurses we've had over the last number of years and that we need more right, to meet our demands. And remember, we've significantly enhanced uh, public health care in a number of areas. So uh, that reflects as well. Um, the demand of providing more mental health and addiction services, the important role nurses and others will play in complex care, in, uh, in supportive housing, in community care, and in long-term care. And so we've added a significant number of positions, and we have a recruitment strategy that is training more nurses, that has thousands of nurses in the pipeline as internationally educated nurses. And now we'll be, I think, uh, the best place in North America for nurses to work. So on a related labor note, nothing to do with nurses, but tomorrow afternoon, Labor Minister Harry Baines is going to announce the increase in the minimum wage. I'm told it's going to continue to be the case that BC will lead the country when it comes to an hourly minimum wage. Right now, $15.65. Look for that to go up, probably about the cost of living somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 or 7%. That's tomorrow at 12.15. All right, look forward to that. Thanks, Keith. Confusion over the cross-border nexus program, key differences in the application process and a major backlog that make the system more difficult to navigate. What you should do if you want to get across the border quicker, that's next on the NewsHour. It's harder and harder to, to keep a secret. 
how the lottery ticket he bought on a whim turned out to be one of the biggest jackpots in BC history. That's coming up on the news hour. Also tonight, Donald Trump accused criminal. The former president's historic court appearance and the 34 charges he's facing later. Right now, though, starting this week, there's a new way for you to get a Nexus card and make cross-border travel much easier. But for many, it's anything but smooth sailing. Krista Dow is live at YVR with more on the changes that some are calling confusing and frustrating. Krista. Sophie, it's definitely a more involved process and requires two parts, one of which will require booking an appointment. But right now, there are no appointments until the end of September. And so far, CBS say telling me there are 260,000 Canadians in the Nexus waitlist. So they hope this new process will help clear some of that backlog. After a three-year closure, Nexus enrollment centers have finally reopened at YVR. But travelers looking for easy access between Canada and the U.S. may be bracing for a bumpy ride. Right now, it might be a little much, too much work. Uh, seems complicated. <laughs> That's because of the new Nexus process. The traditional way, do a joint interview in the U.S. with both U.S. and Canadian officials. The second way, do a split interview, which actually doesn't apply to British Columbians, as the locations are only in Ontario. Or there's the third and more complicated way. That's do an interview at YVR with Canadian officials and then complete a second interview with an American officer on American soil. That's after pre-clearance and before your departing flight. I definitely think it's you know a little bit annoying to have to interview with both. The problem is logistic. So you're waiting for your second interview after going through customs. Your plane may be taking off soon. And now you have to do that second interview and hopefully not miss your flight. The new process comes after a year-long dispute over legal protections for U.S. customs officers, including the authority to carry a gun while on duty in Canada. That dispute deepening the backlog and creating a logistical nightmare. So there's got to be tens of thousands of really unhappy Nexus applicants who really wondered why wasn't any of this done during the pandemic. This was kind of a disaster in the making with really nobody, you know, leading the charge on what they were going to do. CBSA acknowledging the bottleneck but says this new process will help. It's been met with a lot of enthusiasm and we're working through getting through the backlog and this will surely help with um, getting caught up. Hopefully for those travelers that travel often by air, we recommend them coming through our air enrollment center so they can get the two steps completed all at once. So, Sophie, there is, though, some good news in all of this. CBSA right now, the office is only open on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, uh, but with service fully wrapping up to seven days a week on May 1st. So there will be more opportunities to book those appointments. But with that heavy, heavy backlog, CBSA expects uh, it to take about two years to clear all of that and to go back to pre-pandemic wait times. Sophie, Chris. Thanks. All right. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting at YVR. Coming up, a tax scam warning. What to watch out for if you're in a rush to file your return. Plus. You need to focus on your rehabilitation. You need to get better before you go back to performing. BC hip-hop performer Alexander Reyes talks rehab and recovery after an accident that almost derailed his music career. That's later on the news hour.
News in Vancouver, cleared a major crash northbound at the south end of the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. All lanes are open, but traffic is still in recovery mode. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $15 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. With the tax deadline less than a month away, another warning tonight about fraudsters posing as the Canada Revenue Agency. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us with more on how scammers are trying to trick you into identity theft. And That's right, Sophie. The Better Business Bureau is urging people to watch out for texts or emails claiming to issue tax refunds. The sender will often say they are a government agency and the messages will contain a link asking for personal information so they can send you money. Take a look at this. This university student recently fell victim to a tax refund scam. She received a recent text message saying Service Canada owed her $100 and wanted her to deposit it. She clicked on the link and logged into her bank account. The next day, money was sent out of her account to an untraceable identity. When she reported the crime, her bank told her the scammer had already changed her banking app password and taken out cash and a cash advance on her credit card, totaling $2,800. I got an email uh, from my bank uh, said that I sent I transferred some money to somebody, um, but it wasn't me. There was no money in my checking account, but how I didn't send it and how it did, did it happen? I heard that news so many times, but I didn't know it would happen to me, and I was so uh, stupidly. If you receive a call, an email, a text and it says it's coming from the Canadian Revenue Agency, do not respond, do not click, just delete it. If you think you have some sort of issue with the CRA, call them directly. Now the student says her bank reimbursed her for the loss since it was an unauthorized transaction. And just a reminder, the Canada Revenue Agency does not use text or instant message to communicate about taxes, benefits or accounts. It also never sends personal information like tax refund amounts or balances owing via text or email. The Better Business Bureau says consumers can check their CRA accounts through the secure online portal for any outstanding balances. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. A big day for BC shoppers who've been missing the Big Red Z. It's opening day for four Zeller stores in BC. That's not the way I remember it, but all of them within existing Hudson's Bay locations. At the flagship location in downtown Vancouver, shoppers were happy to see the return of the iconic Canadian retail brand, even at a time when department stores are struggling. What do you think? Uh, me, I worked for Seller 21 years. Oh, you're kidding? Yes, yeah, seven yeah. years in Quebec City. Yeah. And 14 years here in um, Oak Ridge. So what's it like having it back? Pardon me? What's it like having it I'm back? I'm very happy. Hello. Are you glad to have Zellers back? Oh, yeah. yeah. We missed it. Oh, my kids wore Zellers all the time when they were growing up. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so I'm glad to have it back. Oh, well, it's good for us because we need some baby clothes. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a cutie. 
Three other Zeller stores opened in B.C. today as well in Surrey, Abbotsford and Kamloops. Happy shopping. Just ahead, the arrest of Donald Trump. President Trump, will you come speak to us? The former president processed like a common criminal at today's arraignment and the charges he's facing. Also, how a device no bigger than a sesame seed is transforming breast cancer surgery and improving outcomes. Traffic is moving both ways, well, both ways tonight at the Patello Bridge. Uh, expect a little bit of a delay later for northbound traffic. There's road work from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, history was made in the United States today when Donald Trump became the first U.S. president ever to face criminal charges. And while this will become a permanent mark on his record, it could also provide Trump with a political boost as Republicans rush to his defense. Reggie Giacchini has more. This may have been the longest eight-kilometer drive of his life. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's motorcade snaked through the streets of Manhattan, where a man famously known as one of this city's biggest real estate tycoons now stands charged with dozens of counts of fraud and falsifying documents. The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. What makes this moment remarkable is the rare meeting of politics and the law. Donald Trump is now the first former president to be processed like a common criminal. His arraignment was quick, just a few minutes, but his record will last forever. President Trump, will you come speak to us? For most people, even most politicians, this would be an almost insurmountable obstacle. But Donald Trump is leaning into it, aided by his supporters and allies. We cannot tolerate this injustice in the United States of America. The indictment and the charges set America on a new course, one where those once deemed untouchable can be held accountable. But it was a long prosecutorial road stemming from hush money payments to cover up affairs, allegations Trump has long denied and frequently criticized as a witch hunt. He's frustrated, he's upset, but I'll tell you what, he's motivated. And it's not going to stop him. It's not going to slow him down. With Trump now in less control of a situation than he optimally prefers, what he does and says going forward could only add to his legal problems. We today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to all 34 charges, and while a gag order was not put in place, both sides were cautioned against making statements that could be interpreted as threatening. Reggie Chikini, Global News, New York. The discovery of a cancerous lump in the breast is a frightening experience for anyone, and the surgery to remove it has traditionally been invasive, uncomfortable, and even painful. But now lumpectomy surgeries at one BC hospital are being done using a new high-tech procedure that's both simpler and less invasive. Catherine Urquhart reports. I get a template as well. At Vancouver's Mount St. Joseph Hospital, Dr. Amy Bazzarelli uses groundbreaking Canadian technology to remove a cancerous tumor in a patient's breast. A big advancement thanks to something incredibly small, 
a 3.2 millimeter magnetic seed. And we're really excited about this change um, that's happened at Mount St. Joseph Hospital. It's a lot more intuitive to use and, and to locate the, the same area, the area of concern to be removed. The magnetic seed is inserted in the tumor before surgery, allowing it to be removed with greater accuracy. You can see the seed is located right here. This a huge improvement other, over standard technology, which requires marking the tumor's location by inserting long metal wires. Cancer survivor Kim Brown has experienced both types of surgery. They took out very little tissue because they just had to take it that what's around the cell. And it was painless. I mean, my recovery time was faster. During a lumpectomy, a magnetic wand is rolled over the breast to locate the seed. A digital tablet emits audio and visual cues for greater precision. Technology developed by a Toronto company. Mount St. Joseph was the first BC hospital to use it, funded with more than $500,000 from the St. Paul's Foundation. Ongoing trials are happening with various seeds throughout the province um, as a whole. I think there is a movement towards doing this uh, type of technology throughout different institutions. And, and certainly there's a lot of interest. It's hoped the magnetic seed technology will become the standard of treatment, something Kim Brown fully supports. The whole experience was way more positive. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just ahead, speaking of which, talk about an encore. I've been through it all, I swear I'm good. A BC hip-hop artist, Alexander Reyes, really has been through it all, embarking on a comeback from an event that almost ended his career. Plus... $55 million richer. The jackpot winner from Vancouver Island finally steps out of the shadows. Well, something many people have been looking forward to for months, the launch of summer patio season in Vancouver. That's right. The city says nearly 130 summer patio permits have been issued so far, and many more applications are expected as the weather warms up, if it ever does. <laughs> they join more than 160 large sidewalk patios that operate year-round in Vancouver. Mayor Ken Sim says the city's growing patio culture that took root during the pandemic helps enrich both the local economy and our quality of life. I don't disagree. Now we just need the right weather, as you mentioned, That's... to get out on those patios, Christine. And I'm not putting the pressure directly on you, but kind of. I, I know, and Chris is sort of real, uh, if we ever get there, no pressure <laughs> at all. I would have to say I've been enjoying the uh, warmth and sunshine we've had over the last little while. People have been thanking me, and they won't be over the next little while. We've got a big change. So I wanted to quickly mention we have been below seasonal for the last couple of days, despite the fact that we have had some sunshine, some 9 degrees at the airport in Vancouver. Typical for this time of year is 12. Now, we are going to warm up for Chris, but the problem is it comes with rainfall. So here's a quick look. We've
you've got a series of systems that are on deck uh, off in the Pacific. So it is really going to be relentless. Now, tomorrow is going to be dry, but it's just the start of things. This is what we have in store for us. So one thing after another. Yes, you'll see some breaks in between and not complete rain this entire time, but we certainly have a wet pattern in store for us. But it brings in milder conditions, so we'll be climbing back to near seasonal values with highs reaching about 12 degrees. In the meantime, tomorrow, sunshine for those of you in the interior for one more day. We're going to see mainly cloudy skies across our region. This is by 3 p.m. tomorrow. Just starting to see some moisture on the west coast of Vancouver Island. For Metro Vancouver, it's tomorrow night that we're going to see that push on shore. And yes, it will be wet throughout our day on Thursday. So here's your Wednesday. Wet across the north coast region, but sunshine for the interior from the central interior right down through the southern interior. West coast of Vancouver Island, you'll start to see rain by the afternoon hours, and we are expecting increasing cloud through the morning hours. Cold tomorrow morning, we're dropping down to zero degrees, and we'll likely see highs of only eight degrees for western sections, nine degrees on Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday, with that cold rain pushing in. Showers, and uh, yeah, you can see it's going to be wet throughout our long weekend. Unfortunately, some indoor Easter egg hunts are going to be needed. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from the Columbia wetlands just outside of uh, Golden. Wally sharing this with us. So this is a herd of elk. Thank you so much, Wally. Great shot there. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Very cool. Well, if you won the lottery, you could fly anywhere the sun is. And a Vancouver Island financial advisor has turned his $5 investment into a multi-million dollar windfall. The single man has become one of BC's biggest ever lottery winners. And as Kylie Stanton found out, he doesn't plan to quit his job, at least not just yet. One, three, eight, 24, 35, 42, and 43. No matter how you do the math, for one very lucky man, those seven numbers add up to 55 million. Which also happens to be the largest jackpot ever won on Vancouver Island. 35 days after the February 28th draw, the mystery winner is finally revealed. Scott, welcome. Great to see you. It's a great dream. And I've been lucky enough that it, it's, it's happened. Scott Gurney learned he had the winning ticket after hearing rumblings it had been purchased in his neighborhood. Everyone's talking about it. I heard that somebody won the big one. And so I said, ah, let's, let's check it. And so I got to work, pulled up the app, checked the ticket, and said 55 million. While there was speculation was purchased at one of these three North Saanich locations, Gurney actually bought it while getting groceries here at Save on Foods in Sydney. That's amazing. Well, it's nice to know that we can win the big ones here on the, on the West Coast. Now, as many do, Gurney is taking some time to consider the big question. What do I do with that kind of money? Oof. More likely share it with my family. Buy a house and a car and get away. The only difference? those dreams can now become reality. It's going to take time to come to grips with because it just it's such an amount. Gurney, who is a bookkeeper and financial advisor, plans to purchase a new home in the area, help out family and friends, give to charity and travel. But of course, all in good time. I'm going to try and follow my own advice, take six months, you know, sit back, cool off and maybe do some planning along that along the way. For now, he's focused on finding someone to take over his business before officially retiring. I, I don't know if I want to do another tax season. The man who has made his living dealing with numbers will now be living off these seven. You may all play to win. Um, very few of us are lucky enough to do that. And I've been fortunate enough to be one of those few. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
I don't want to do another tax season either. <laughs> Can I just opt out? Fortunately, for you and I, yeah. we don't really have the option. We don't have that. Okay. Tough one. Oh, good luck spending all that dough. I would buy you guys lunch. That would be very nice. Would it be at a fancy restaurant? Um, the cafeteria here. Oh, well. <laughs> they have some nice stuff. It's good fancy. food, at least. Okay. Fancy. That's good. All oh. right. Uh, sad news for a lot of people at SFU today. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last night, and unfortunately what we heard was correct. So SFU football is gone. We also heard and talked about last night the Canadians being sold to an American company. But the seas are staying put. Uh, we have been able, we think, to ensure the future of the franchise uh, in a very positive way. The Canadians are now owned by Diamond Baseball Holdings, but they've asked everyone to stay with the club, and they plan upgrades in that Bailey going forward. Look forward to hearing more. All right, and a BC hip-hop artist travels a long way back from disaster. How it's helping fuel his music. Coming up. Big news at SFU, Squire. Yes, not good news either. Now, when SFU started its football program way back in 1965, the chancellor of the school, Gordon Schrum, said he wanted Simon Fraser to be the first Canadian school to play in the Rose Bowl. From the very beginning, SFU had dreams of being in the NCAA. But in many ways, trying to play football in the NCAA at the Division II level killed the program. SFU did have time in the NAIA and Canadian University football and produced many CFL players. In fact, five first overall picks in the CFL draft were from Simon Fraser. But playing in Division II, SFU's overall conference record was 13 wins and 80 losses. And some of those losses were ugly. And today was the biggest loss of all, as the entire program was punted. Athletic director, I'd have to think this is a dark day for you. This is... Uh... One of the toughest days in my career. Absolutely. After 57 years of SFU running onto the football field, there will be no more gridiron battles and no more high fives. Simon Fraser University eliminating its football program after an ill-fated expedition into NCAA Division II sports, where the southwestern U.S.-based Lone Star Conference voted not to renew its affiliate agreement with SFU earlier this year which turned out to be the program's death sentence. A lot of people don't know that aside from us, there's only two other Division II football schools west of Colorado. So that's why we joined the Lone Star Conference um, in 2021. And then this year, in January, they let us know they were not going to renew that affiliates membership. So it left us with no, no place to play after 2024. It's overwhelming. Uh, it's shocking. It's... Uh, it, almost, it brings tears to your eyes when you've been so close to the tradition of something for so long. Understandably, it's a decision that isn't sitting well with SFU's alumni. Chris Beaton sported the headset as Simon Fraser's coach for 23 seasons. But his connection to the program runs even deeper. Beaton was the captain of SFU's original football team in 1965 and played in the first ever Shrum Bowl two years later when they beat UBC in a game featuring the Crosstown Rivals. There's just, there's just something not right about it. It's almost, it's almost as if it was a done deal that the university 
doesn't want football, but to do it this way, uh, I just still can't comprehend it. After 16 years of owning the Vancouver Canadians, Jeff Mooney and Jake Kerr sold the club to Diamond Baseball Holdings out of the U.S., a company that owns 16 minor league teams. Now, Mooney and Kerr have agreed to stay on to help run the Vancouver Canadians, and they say this deal was necessary and one that ensures the C's stay here. They love this market because of its size. Uh, that was the first thing they said to us. And then when they realized that Nat Bailey Stadium really, and it was their terms, like Fenway or Wrigley, they're not leaving here. We've spent 16 years of our lives. Andy's been the guy who, the straw that stirred the drink. But uh, 16 years of our lives building something we're really proud of. We're very proud of what's here. And it's a great day for baseball because it's not just about today. It's about where it's headed. It's business as usual. I don't expect changes. I expect us just to continue to roll on. There'll be no staff changes. And everything's good. I mean, the future's good, and we're looking forward to the year. The Vancouver Canucks, of course, are officially out of the playoffs. But the Seattle Kraken are only a few wins or a few Calgary losses away from making the playoffs as a wildcard team. And, of course, Seattle is in its second year. They are already 32 points ahead of where they finished last year. And for the Canucks who as a franchise have not had a home playoff game since 2015, especially Canuck fans, seeing Seattle come up this fast is a bit galling. Um, but obviously I think they've done a great job. Obviously last year they probably had a lot of pressure, you know, considering what Vegas did. And, um, you know, but they actually have a good team over there and they're playing well. Um, they play a quick game and they're, they play a, a very aggressive attack game. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think they're playing well. You know what, they obviously work hard to get, it's, it's hard to get to the playoffs. So, um, you know, kudos to them. But, you know, at the same time, like, we're, start, we're still trying to work on our game here. You know, we got, a lot of, a lot of us have a lot to prove. And, you know, we want to, you know, want to show our fan base that, you know what, next year we're, we're working towards getting to the playoffs too. Surrey's Adams Fenton is playing his first Masters this week. He will be paired up with Patrick Reed, who won a green jacket in 2018. He now plays in the Live Tour and also American Sahith Tigala. Uh, Tiger Woods is in a group with Victor Holland and Xander Shoffley. And tomorrow, the Whitecaps and the LA Galaxy, the start of a quarterfinal series in Champions League. That's at BC Place, 7 o'clock. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Up next, music with a message, the life-changing car crash and remarkable comeback of a BC hip-hop artist. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Well, Alexander Reyes is an artist who fights for his beliefs. As a teen, he was making presentations to Nanaimo City Council and traveling the world as a UN Youth Ambassador. Music has always been his passion, but his dreams were almost dashed by a serious crash that left him bedridden. Jay Durant shows us the remarkable comeback in This Is BC. I've been through it all. I swear I'm good. And now my ex you trying to call. I'm doing good. All Good with Mad Child is the first song in four years for Nanaimo hip-hop musician Alexander Reyes, who wasn't sure he would ever be able to continue his career after suffering a back injury in a car crash. One day being told that, no, you, you need to focus on your rehabilitation. You need to get better before you go back to performing, jumping off the stage. Uh, 
um, running into the crowd. Every time we go on track, we be going hard. Reyes has been making music since he was a teenager. His songs have been a platform for fundraising and humanitarian efforts, once serving as a UN youth ambassador on trips to Central America and East Africa. What I did was go to the school and teach the youth about uh, staying motivated, becoming an entrepreneur, staying focused on the goals that they have, and becoming who they want to be. Who wants the money? Who supports homeless? At home, he supported programs like Hoodies for the Homeless, selling merchandise and collecting donations. Our community, Nanamo, BC, got involved and dropped off uh, their used clothing, right, uh, that I donated to the Victoria uh, a hospice shelter, okay? So I got our community involved to give away their clothes that they're not wearing anymore to somebody who else who's less fortunate. Now a father, Reyes plans to continue supporting community programs in the city after finally being able to get back into the studio. It was all about uh, getting back to my passion. It's something that made me happy. And I feel like uh, music is a way that I can connect to others. You don't have to give up. You can keep going. And maybe if you do give up, uh, there's some sunshine down the road because I can tell you personally, myself, I gave up for years and uh, life has brought me back. Got this weight all on my shoulder. I'm doing good. Jay Durant, Global News. Live, Chris. <laughs> my dream is still alive. Every now and again, I'll, I'll sing in the newsroom. <laughs> Not nearly as good as Alexander no. Reyes, so glad he's on <laughs> way back. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And no, there will never be a TikTok. Go ahead. Oh, we'll work <laughs> on it. Not of you, no talk. <laughs> we'll work Boy, on it. No. Final word on the weather, Christy? <laughs> Sure. So uh, tomorrow a dry day, but definitely on the cool side, starting off with zero degrees and only warming up to eight. Cool and wet Thursday, and it looks like it's wet from there on in. Ew. Like my first album, The Rain Drops. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>